Cultures around the world have always looked to nature as a source of both increased health and wellness. While modern science continues to support this connection, we spend the majority of our time indoors. Welcome to the Nature of Wellness podcast, where we explore the relationship between the natural world and the human experience. Join us as we discuss all things nature, health, and well-being. We truly believe the future of health is now. Welcome to another episode of the Nature of Wellness podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Campbell, and with me is one of my very favorite people, someone who walks to talk more than most, someone who has been both a lover and a fighter for all humans and the natural world, my favorite co-host on the planet, Mr. Steve Otero. How are you, Steve? <laughs> I'm doing very well, brother. How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm good, man. Anytime I get with you is good time. <laughs> yes, sir. I agree. You know, it's an exciting time of the year. We're about halfway through the first month, and it's it's always fun for me as a health and wellness coach, as a performance guy, member of the healthcare community for more years than I care to think about. It's fun to see trends <laughs> in the new year and everybody charges in like Kool-Aid man through the wall on January 1st and they're ready to make those changes. <laughs> oh yeah. Make those yeah, changes yeah. and, you know, gung ho. And then life happens. Those resolutions. <laughs> all of those resolutions. And I used to call it the January 3rd syndrome when I managed a fitness facility in college. Because January 1st, we'd sell more memberships than probably the next six months combined. And then wow. people would show up and I would tell all of the regulars, be patient, give it a couple of days. You know, it's super crowded. And then by January 3rd, it was back to normal. And it was for a multitude of reasons I've studied later in my educational and, and professional life. But <laughs> I'll just stick with life happens. You know, people get sore, they sure. get busy. Maybe they didn't plan it through as much as they could have beforehand. Yeah. But yeah. You know, at this point in the month, this is a great time for people to maybe rethink those goals for the new year and sure. to re-engage with those goals and not just kind of give up and say, life is hard, you know, I'll just slug through. And I think that that leads in perfectly to today's guest and the topics we're going to cover, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. How are things out there? Let me start by asking that. Oh, you know, I'm still worried about the water. I, we We need more snow and I just keep hoping. Admittedly, you know, we supposedly may have a few more storms on the uh, on the horizon, you know, coming into late January. But I, I, I got to tell everybody in the southwestern chunk of the United States, um, the headwaters of your Colorado River, pretty dry right now. So let's all keep our fingers crossed that Mother Nature decides to maybe have some pretty uh, epic storms um, towards the middle here, the middle of the season, because we're right about halfway through um, winter. So what's the East Coast like? Pretty similar. Uh, you know, we had some winter storms, warnings, and, you know, a lot of the country got some winter weather, but like you're saying, not nearly enough. And I feel like the old adage of the farmer staring at the sky, praying for rain every time I go outside, <laughs> it shouldn't be this dry at this time of year. I, I, I know that. And again, not to get uh, too deep in the weeds on this, but this just reinforces how we need to have adult conversations at the leadership level and listen to one another and really, uh, be honest about it, you know, not weaponize sure. or make it an agenda. Just talk about what needs to happen and start creating action for it. So I do worry about the warmer months this year and and the folks that are going to be affected. But all in all, I mean, it's it's great. Finally got some winter, which we ended the year, as we talked about before, in the 50s in you know the mid-Atlantic region, which I've never seen in my time here. So that was a little scary, but we finally got some winter. Still getting outside, still the only person on the river, only you know one of the few people on the trails, 
and I couldn't love it more. A privilege. Yeah. Every winter, we talk about the solitude and the beauty and the silence of being able to actually see the landscape through the trees. And every time I'm on the trail, I notice an old stone structure I've never seen before through the trees or you know, a, a new rock face that wasn't there during the warm months with the leaves. And it's just, it's so beautiful in its own way. So I'm, I'm always excited. And, you know, I, I, it's a great time. It gets a bad rep, but it's, it's a great time for people to get outside for their health. It really is. If you can, if you don't have an underlying condition that is affected by cold weather, if you prepare effectively, like we talk about nature responsibly all the time, get outside for your health. And, you know, there's so many different ways to enjoy it. And it's always been a part of healthcare systems from the beginning of healthcare systems. Nature is, again, the first physician, the first teacher, the first spiritual leader. The first environment. The first everything, right? Nature <laughs> was it. And, you right. know, to, to think that not getting out is going to make us healthier is a little scary. And so there are so many things, so many offerings. You could do, you know, yoga outside, which I know we're going to talk about today. I'm really excited about. There's some folks around. I see more and more offerings for like a, a hike and yoga program, which I absolutely love. I love the idea of hiking into a little bit more of a remote environment and then practicing yoga and then talking about how the environment is affecting you. And it's just, it's a beautiful concept. And I hope that folks like that are the future. I really do. Because it's, it's such a beautiful way for us to be led into the natural world and to be shown the benefits from someone who's qualified to do it. So great. Absolutely. I, I fully agree. I mean, one of the, the, the veteran-focused nonprofits I've worked with um, called Huts for Vets, where, which utilizes the 10th Mountain Hut system to take veterans on five-day retreats into the wilderness. We did a lot of Qigong. We did Qigong sessions every morning, and then we would do yoga sessions in the afternoon. You know, Both activities that really help us just feel our bodies for where they are, what they are in that moment, right? And very, very um, encouraging activities, regardless of body type, shape, illness, injury, all that other stuff. These activities, you know, they, they pay no mind to it and they're, they're valuable for all of us um, pretty much at any time. So um, I'm really, really excited to, to mention that there was a study that just came out la at the, the very end of last year, at the end of 2023. And the study, it had to be run for, I believe, almost three years because it was a randomized clinical trial. And there were multiple sites. It was managed through a partnership with the Department of Veterans Affairs and some other physicians not affiliated with Veterans Affairs. But this clinical trial compared the outcomes of yoga and cognitive processing therapy, right? Which is, as anybody might recognize that, that's standard talk therapy, right? It's cognitive processing therapy. And very excitedly, the outcomes were, were similar, right? So both wow. groups, both cohorts of participants um, reported a 42% reduction in their symptoms of PTSD at the end of the study, which is pretty amazing, right? For, for anybody who's not involved in, in the clinical world, the clinical world right, measures these outcomes from randomized controls trials in order to choose to implement new therapies, right? They, they implement new interventions, oftentimes based on the outcomes of a variety of randomized controlled trials, right? And cognitive processing therapy has been around for a very, very long time. And you know, yoga has been around, dare I say, even longer. Oh, sure. Uh, maybe, maybe known by different names. And we're recognizing that this very, very uh, well-established activity has a very similar clinical outcome as an activity that was developed sort of in a clinical setting. 
And that means that more people will have more choices available to them in the future to take care of themselves. Right. And that's what we're all about. Is that, that that's, human that's care. That's the whole point. Right. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought it up. And I'm so glad that you talked about the military applications, especially. I know that, uh, you know, when, when we were both working with the military adaptive sports program, uh, we tried to offer more what would be considered complementary or integrative therapies. And I'll, I'll touch on those terms in a bit. But uh, yoga was one. And we couldn't get people to the classes at first on different yeah. installations. Sure. Stigma. I know you and I've talked about this before. And I, I can't remember if I said it on the show before, but it took one special operations guy to go in and he had a below the elbow amputation and he was trying to figure out how to balance on his prosthetic. And he went in and did yoga and he came out and said, that kicked my butt. I loved it. You know, and those guys love the challenge. So he went out and told all of his friends and it became our most popular offering very quickly. Yeah. Yoga was unbelievably <laughs> the most attended, not unbelievably in a bad way, but in that population specifically, the most attended offering that we had. And I thought it was beautiful. And the the feedback and the reviews and the testimonials that came out of it were just so inspiring. Yeah. It's just weird negative stigma about yoga as if somehow it's easy, right? Like I challenge anybody to go sign up for a yoga class. Message me privately. I hope you find funding for your yoga class just because I believe in it that much, right? Like it's, yeah, it's a too. wonderful way, right? Muscle growth, right? Is, is, is focused on challenge, right? And different stimuli, right? helps to confuse our muscles, right? And our muscle fibers are told from this different and varied stimuli, like, hey, you need to grow, right? And our muscle fibers will grow a little bit faster every time we decide to challenge them in new and complementary ways, right? We don't, we don't just have to squat, bench, and deadlift as much as I love squatting, benching, and deadlifting. Yoga will help us with the shoulder mobility needed, right? Yoga will help us with the hip mobility, helps with that lower back pain. I mean, Dude, sticking with a six-week session of yoga a couple times a week, right? People see the difference. People will feel, oh, sure. feel the difference. I think that's what matters most. Well, and I think that it goes well beyond the physical as far as mm -hmm. benefits. And, and especially with the population I mentioned, wounded, ill, and injured folks in the military, it really gave them a place to go and not have to sit in a room and talk about things, especially in a, in a post-traumatic environment but it got them moving. It allowed them to be mindful. It allowed them to be present. It gave them that safe space to process different emotions. And I, I think that that's definitely one of the other, there's so many benefits and I don't want to steal the thunder of our guests because I'm <laughs> yeah. sure we're going to talk about this a lot, but just the fact that, you know, we even have a the branch of government that monitors these types of programs and, and processes is the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. And it falls under the Department of Health and Human Services. I dare I say a lesser known organization within the federal government, but they do tremendous work and tremendous research and, you know, making sure that things are following science, which is very important. I think that the future is really finding those ways. We talked about this with Richard Safir on the last episode, finding ways to blend art and science. And the science rarely takes a huge leap forward, but finding the art and the artistic ways to meet people where they are and help them digest the science in a way that benefits them is critical. That is a perfect segue into our guest today because I was lucky enough to be part of a mindfulness virtual conference a few years back. And we shared the virtual stage at this conference and we connected through that and we stayed in contact. And I'm a big fan of her social media. I don't spend a lot of time on social media. As you know, Steve, I try not to, but whenever I log on, there are a few accounts that I definitely look for 
And hers is one because I love the content that she puts out. I love seeing what she's doing. Love seeing how she's making the world a bit better each time. But our guest today, I'm so happy to say that our guest today is Larissa Hall Carlson. And Larissa has over 25 years of teaching experience and is known as a leading educator in the field of optimal performance. Certified by the National Ayurvedic Medical Association and Yoga Alliance, she serves as a lead faculty member for the Kripalu Schools of Yoga and Ayurveda and guides teacher trainings across the globe. Larissa previously served as the dean of the Kripalu School and is the co-creator of two popular online courses with Yoga Journal, Ayurveda 101, and 201. She specializes in training elite-level musicians, executives, artists, and athletes in all aspects of mindful living. A passionate writer, Larissa's rich teachings and exceptional knowledge of yoga, Ayurveda, and mindfulness can be found in Yoga Journal, The Washington Post, Men's Journal, Shape, More, Elephant Journal, In Style, Prevention, and Mind Body Green. It's everywhere, Steve, and it needs to be even more places. (laughs) Her mindfulness and breathwork teachings can also be found on Insight Timer, which I definitely want to talk about. But without further ado, I would love to welcome Larissa. How are you today? I'm so happy to be here with the two of you. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for agreeing to be with us today for a bit. And thanks for bringing your beautiful, calming energy. I was just sharing before the recording, you know, it was one of those perfect storm mornings with Zoom not working and restarting and then headphone issues and this and that. And I was so frantic. And as soon as you came up on the screen and started talking, I just instantly relaxed and I knew things were going to be okay. So (laughs) thank you for that. Everything's Um, already okay. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. (laughs) Thanks for holding the mirror up and showing me that in a very brief time. You know, you're located in Vermont. I'm always so happy to get to spend time there. I do a lot of fly fishing there when I'm there. So that's always a a beautiful thing. But Vermont is known as a more of a holistic state, I would say. You know, a lot of practitioners there. And I think you're leading the charge for a lot of amazing work. And I would love for you to, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are doing what you're doing. Stay with us. We'll be right back. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird, and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. Yeah, Vermont, it is a holistic place. And there are a lot of wonderful people doing great, great work here. And we actually had a little snow this morning. So nice. <laughs> at least we're pretending that we're a mountain state, you know, <laughs> in, in the dry East Coast right now, for sure. I've had a long journey to get to where I am. I consider myself mainly a, a yoga and mindfulness teacher and an Ayurvedic practitioner. And those have been long journeys, long paths for me. Before that, you know, I was trained as an English teacher, high school English teacher. I taught college English for a while and was the uh, evening weekend department chair for a a junior college in New York. I was also a controller. So I ran a finance department in New York for six years after college. And um, so, you know, getting both the left and right brain, you know, giving (laughs) giving giving them both some action, you know, in my 20s. And 
I love doing that work. I'm a New Yorker originally. Uh, I love doing busy work, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> work that requires precision. You know, that gives me a lot of satisfaction and teaching. I've always been a teacher, you know, even before those things back in high school. And while I was in college, I was a tutor. I coached lacrosse. I uh, was a math tutor, all sorts of things. So I have always been a teacher, sort of first and foremost. But the subject and where I was teaching, that was always changing. And in my 20s, when I was teaching at the junior college and, and a controller, so a controller during the day and teaching at night, you know, I kept a very busy, busy wow. New York schedule. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long, long hours. So back then, you know, I was satisfied by what I was doing, but I wasn't living a healthy lifestyle. You know, I was working from around eight o'clock in the morning to 11 p.m. Most days. Yeah, 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 yeah. really long grind. hours. Yeah. Smoking cigarettes, drinking lots oh, of coffee. Yeah. Modern day human. Parms for lunch, you know. Yeah. yeah. Bagel and cream cheese for breakfast. Like that was the situation, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd grown up as an athlete. Um, but for those many years, I had lost really connection to exercise, to self-care. You know, take a couple walks around the block or whatever. But that self-care practice really disappeared because I was so focused on work and climbing the ladder, you know, and, and the pressure that was coming with all that. And so I found that I was eating whatever was, you know, quick and easy and, uh, you know, in the cafe at, 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 at the business. And Good street food in New York, huh? Oh, a lot of good street food. Good coffee. Yeah, yeah. Light and sweet. You can get light and sweet coffee all day, you know? <laughs> uh, so. I was becoming more toxic and, and through that really more, more foggy headed, you know, and sleep deprived, you know, kind of jacked all day, like running on adrenaline, running on cortisol, running on stress, running on coffee and cigarettes. And it just so happened that uh, a yoga VHS tape crossed my path one day. Wow. Mm -hmm. Taking us back there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. VHS <laughs> big time. Yeah. So this is, you know, 20, something years ago, 25 years ago, something like that. And I did the tape and just cried my way through it. I just found myself overwhelmed with emotions that I had no idea were present. You know, I just didn't even have time for emotions at that stage in my life. And the yoga class slowed me way down. And the teacher was very, very sweet, very peaceful voice. And you know, one of those cute little videos, yoga videos back in the day, you know, like on, on you know, a, a beach in Hawaii with a cute music playing in the background. And so it had like all the things that I needed for peace, you know? Yeah. So like it did the trick, you know, it got me right into the zone. And I was so surprised that the result was these tears, you know, coming up. And what it had done to me was help me connect with something I'd lost where it lost connection with, you know, the, the inner peace, the inner tranquility, the inner calm, uh, that's always present. You know, it's always present, never goes away. It's always there, but it had gotten covered up. I'd lost connection to it. And that yoga class really stirred me, you know, it stirred me up. So I started doing it every day, of course, and I would do it then twice a day. And then I ordered like all the other VHS nice. tapes on yoga that I could get. And one day at the office, you know, I had this, you know, controller. I had this, you know, grand office and 
I ordered like all these things, the yoga straps and the bolsters and the blocks and the clothes <laughs> and like and the eye pillows and like all the cute stuff, you know, and the aromatherapy and everything that they were selling. I was like, I'll take that. I'll take that. And so I got this ginormous box delivered to the office one day. I mean, like one of those boxes you could like sleep in, you know, that just had all of these, these things in it. And at the bottom of the box was a flyer for an in-person summit for, it was a wellness summit with the teacher from the first video. And that grabbed my attention. Yeah, you were in. And it was about, yeah, it was about six months away. And so I put in my notice Oh wow! to wrap up my work, both as a professor and as a controller, so that I would end a few days before that summit and then go to this summit. It was, it was a, a wellness summit for women, and it was up in Mohonk Mountain in, oh, uh, yeah? in New York. Yeah, really amazing venue. And she was going to be there live, along with like Erin Brockovich and some wonderful uh, female Olympic athletes. I was mostly focused on the yoga teacher. So all of that sure. sort of like <laughs> fell out of my awareness. But I signed up for this and it, you know, it really triggered a six month lifestyle change where I, you know, I quit cigarettes. I started walking more. I was doing yoga every day. I filed for separation from my husband. And, you know, and it took me six months to, you know, appropriately find a replacement, you know, as a controller, you can't just walk away from a job like that. So you know, I, I took a long breath to make a huge life change. So I'm going to pause there. That's sort of like the the, the first step of the journey. <laughs> like, I think that's amazing. That's huge. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> this is all new information for me. You know, I, I've known you for a few years and we've done some recordings for a class that I teach, but I haven't heard the depth of your journey so far. And I'm I'm a little gobsmacked here. This is so much to unpack. I'm a lifestyle change guy myself, and I know that it's never easy. I also know that you can start off with lifestyle change being extrinsic as far as motivation, but it has to have that intrinsic component before it's lasting. And that's what I heard in the first part of your journey. And it can come in, in the most random, craziest places. When you're ready, the old adage, I mean, it's been around forever when the student is ready. So that day, you said it came across your desk, that VHS tape, but you know, the, the signs are everywhere. I say that with my clients all the time. Opportunities are everywhere. We just have to be open to them. And if it seems like they just came out of nowhere, that's where your awareness came from in that moment. Because the opportunity was there. You just became aware of it. I think that everything you just said is so beneficial for the listeners because we've all been there in some way, in our own unique way. We've all been in that position where we feel like we're stuck, maybe. That's what I heard you say. Life, treading water. Treading water spinning our wheels. I mean, we could go on yeah. and on. I say it all the time. I feel like the the grape in the little jello square in the cafeteria sometimes, you know, and <laughs> things are moving around me, but I can't, I can't get out of there. Right. So that's when you decide that I need a change. And that's when you become aware of change opportunities. And the fact that you so quickly said, I have to make these changes. You put those marks on the wall, quit your job, you know, relationship change, you are all in. And, and Mohawk Mountain is a beautiful venue. I've never been there personally, but I've researched it a lot. I know one of our former guests, Jennifer Walsh, teaches there. So I've had some connections there. I can only imagine this beautiful place, beautiful venue, beautiful cast of characters, this wonderful person that was randomly on this VHS tape. 
where you were emotionally connected to, you know, that process immediately. I can't even imagine what sort of a nirvana feeling that was just wanting to dive right in and say, this is the change. It just lit up in front of you. It was like the coolest thing ever, the coolest thing ever. And like, she was teaching, you know, daily classes. The only thing I went to, there are all of these wonderful workshops over this long weekend. And all I did was like stalk her, you know, and take her (laughs) classes. And, you know, like that's all I was interested in. I wanted the yoga, you know, and it was so wonderful to be in a group class, to be breathing with people, to be moving with people. I felt the community for the first time, you know, I'd had sort of this virtual one-on-one connection and getting the teachings through the TV, you know, and getting the instructions. And that was wonderful. But to actually be in person for the very first yoga class, you know, in person was that weekend. And I got to have a whole bunch of them. And it was interesting too. uh, You know, it really, it felt like I had made the right decision. It was a huge decision. Of course, the the divorce and all of the things were incredibly difficult and very, very stressful and, and a very, very difficult divorce that I went through. And that took a couple of years. But when I got to Wohong, the entire place had been rented out for this. It's called a Strong Women's Summit. That, that was the title. And so there were like 400 women with these like wonderful instructors, you know. And so it was a lottery for the bedrooms. And I ended up with like the coolest bedroom, like with like the tower on top. Like if you look oh, at Mohawk wow. Mountain pictures, like that tower with the 360 degree view and everything and the decks out there. And, and I was like, oh, I won the lottery. You know, I got to get there and then have this awesome view. And it's sort of like a message from the universe or a sign from the universe. Like it's, it's okay. You know, like it's scary. You've just made a big change. You've just stepped away from a whole part of life. And now you'll be carried or held or, you know, support it. That's really the message. And at the end of the weekend, I went up to this instructor, her name is Suzanne. I went up to Suzanne. And as I was approaching her, you know, I just wanted to offer her some appreciation. And as I was walking up to her, she met my gaze and she said, are you a yoga instructor? And I said, no, I've only ever done your videotapes over the last six (laughs) months. You know, I've never been in a class before, you know. I had never even considered being a yoga teacher. That thought had never crossed my mind. And so she planted that seed, you know. Oh, <laughs> nice. You know, to my own hormone, I have pretty nice alignment. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, and she was a pretty excellent teacher in that regard. So uh, I looked like I knew what I was doing at least. But that was also this way of just going with the flow and recognizing that the universe will provide the opportunities when one is open and willing to allow that and not sort of force action or or manipulate the situation or make something happen, but just to go with the flow. And like she planted that seed and then it would be a few years and then I would become a teacher after that. That's amazing. And I can relate in a certain way. You know, I've, I've been to these conferences. I've been both the stalker and stalky uh, <laughs> at this point in my career. And I, I always encourage people to, if you want to talk to me, come talk to me. You know, because I know how powerful that was for me starting out in in every field I've been a part of. And, you know, I was very fortunate in the sports psychology world to go to their national conferences and present, but then be around these people whose textbooks I owned and whose VHS tapes I owned, I'll admit it, and all of these great things. And there there was one in particular, Ken Reveza, who's like the godfather of sports psychology. And Ken and I were on an elevator together at the first conference, and I'd never spoken to him. He had been an advisor for the army program I was working with. And I just, I saw him and I said, oh crap, that's Ken Revisa. 
And I put my head down. And then a few minutes later, he turned around and goes, Hey, Mark, how you doing, man? He was like, I love the work you're doing with the army, man. Keep it going. And I was like, Oh my God, he knows my name. Then he gave me his card and then he said, let's connect. And then we stayed connected. And then when I worked in baseball, he was the original guy to really do it long-term in baseball. And he became a mentor and a friend. And, and you know, Ken passed, unfortunately, a few years ago. And I keep learning how much he did this with other people and how many people he invited in and really impacted their lives. So if you're listening and you're any type of authority in your field and someone wants to talk to you, please take the time to talk to them. If you're starting out and you want to talk to somebody, please have the courage to do so. You know, that's, we should be lifting each other up and moving this thing forward together. And I, I love your story so much. You took me back to some places I haven't visited in a while, and I feel guilty for not doing that. But thank you so much. I just feel so grateful for that. Steve, what do you think so far? Well, now I'm, I'm really, really curious though. There's, uh, there's these other uh, layers of expertise. I think of like, what is it? The donkey from Shrek, right? We all, we're like parfaits, right? Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. So one of, one of your layers that was part of your bio is Ayurvedic medicine. I, that's something that I am not familiar. I, I understand. I know the term. I've heard of certain tactics like oil pulling or other tactics like that. But can you please help us understand what is Ayurveda? And am I even saying that right? You are. You are. Yeah. Right. Ayurveda. Yeah. Right. yeah. Ayurveda. So like, like an eyeball and then the pronoun your. Ayurveda. Ayurveda. Yeah. Okay. Ayurveda. So Ayurveda uh, is a Sanskrit word and it literally means the, the science of life or the knowledge of life or the wisdom of life. And life is defined more specifically with the Sanskrit term. It means life made up of four components, the body, the five senses, eyes, ears, nose, mouth, skin, the mind, and the spirit or the soul. So Ayurveda is the knowledge or the wisdom or the understanding of the body, the senses, the mind, and the soul. It's a system of medicine from India. And so it's often described as being yoga's sister science, yoga giving us all of these practices for you know, taking care of the body with postures and breathing techniques and meditative techniques and Ayurveda giving us the diet, lifestyle, self-care practices. It includes everything that we might experience in this incarnation. So Ayurveda is a thorough system of medicine from India that's said to be at least 5,000 years old, the oldest, most continuously practiced system of medicine in the world. Yeah. It is similar in a lot of ways to traditional Chinese medicine and Tibetan medicine in that it focuses on living in harmony with nature. It's very much a system of common sense, and it covers prenatal care to geriatric care. It covers psychology to Ayurvedic surgery, uh, all the diet and lifestyle practices, massage therapy, aromatherapy, uh, you name it, Ayurveda has something to say about it. And it really is a system that prioritizes the prevention of the disease and the maintenance of health. So maintaining health is a, a big, big part of Ayurveda, but it certainly can work to you know reduce disease states and such. And I'm not an Ayurvedic doctor. I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner, which is sort of a level down from an Ayurvedic doctor. And so I focus mostly on diet and lifestyle self-care practices, as well as the Ayurvedic approach to yoga, which we can speak more about perhaps. And 
Ayurveda is a system that it's not a trend, so it's not a New Year's trend. You know, it's not <laughs> right. uh, you know like going to fall away in a couple. You know, right? Is it five thousand years old? Yeah, right, five thousand years old. Yeah, not a trend. Yeah, although it can certainly be trendy in some ways. You know, there, we found like um, in recent years, Ayurveda chapsticks and books in swag bags at Hollywood events and things like that. So it can be kind of trendy. I was going to say it's, it's people trying yeah. to turn it into a trend. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Kate Hudson wrote a book, which is actually a phenomenal book that includes Ayurveda. It's really lovely. Yeah. But it's actually a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's about living in harmony with nature. That's what Ayurveda is all about. Living in harmony with nature, eating with the seasons, sleeping when the sun goes down, you know, Shifting to, you know, eating seasonal foods, shifting what we wear based on the season, how we exercise based on the season and the weather, all of these uh, things are related to to the season and not just the season of the year or the, the temperature outside, but also the season of life and the different stages of life require different kinds of medicines, you know, and, and lifestyle practices. So it's a, a huge system. That's my first sharing about it. That's really, really cool. And I, I'm enthralled by the fact that there's this other longer standing sort of system that is encouraging of that, of discovering and uh, for ourselves that balance, that harmony with nature, right? Life and nature are really right, one and the same. And the medicinal practices, I guess, are oftentimes, right? Like we, especially with modern science, right? Where modern science likes to pick out the technical mechanisms right, of any intervention type practice, right? So that's why maybe somebody like me with very limited knowledge on the subject of Ayurveda, right? I've only heard of like that one little thing, like oil pulling. And that was just something I randomly saw on the internet one day a few years back. I've admitted that I've still never tried it. Are there like entry-level Ayurvedic practices that somebody could go out and just discover and start sort of, right? Like I can tap, I can dip my toes in the water and learn one or two certain practices that might help me get into understanding Ayurveda better? Sure. Yeah, there are many. And, you know, that, that entry point is different for everyone. You know, yeah. what, what's nice in the, the West right now is we're seeing Ayurvedic massages showing up in a lot of spas. And so yeah. that's often the entry point for people because the Ayurvedic massages use herbalized oils and herbalized paste and things like that. And so you get a lot of these wonderful nourishing sort of anti-inflammatory, blood moving, stress relieving kind of herbs that are infused into the massage oils. And so one can start to feel more of a therapeutic effect from the massage just by the uh, skillful choice of the practitioner for which yeah. oil to use for, for the client. And so that's a great way in is, you know, checking out different Ayurvedic options exfoliation massages and steam baths and uh, all sorts of fun and, and, and juicy and delicious and scrumptious kinds of massage treatments. That's a nice way in. A lot of people nowadays love the diet. They go oh, into okay. the pathway of the diet and that, that's a very popular way in. Is there a particular uh, Ayurvedic diet then that is, I mean, I would assume one, I would assume it's like a plant-based type of a diet, a, a entry point. Especially coming with India, right? The cow is a very sacred animal, so they're not over there slaughtering yeah. cows at the same rate we are here in America. <laughs> no, right? they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> uh, well, you know what you might find interesting is Ayurveda is not a vegetarian system. 
It is a mostly vegetarian system. I'm, I myself am a vegetarian. I became vegetarian long before finding Ayurveda. Even back in my eggplant parm, you know, cream cheese and bagel <laughs> era, I was a vegetarian back then, you know, okay. not getting much healthy food in me, but still vegetarian. And Ayurveda is a mostly vegetarian system, but it will use, for use of, you know, modern terms, it'll use organic, free range, humanely slaughtered meat here and there medicinally. And so we will use that absolutely, but but limited in quantity. And more organic, not pumped full of all of the stuff that we prepackage and buy at the store. Absolutely. And what's fascinating is is some of the classic Ayurvedic texts, which are 2,500 years old, they speak to the care of the animal and the preparation of the meat and the, the quantity and they're very, very specific about animals being able to live their cycle of life, you know, and to to be out in nature and taking in the fresh air and sipping fresh water and eating fresh food so that they live their lives. And then when they are sacrificed, we get those elements in their bodies, you know, that become us. That's a big, big piece of Ayurveda. They didn't use the words free range and organic back then. They didn't have to, though. But Ayurveda is... The diet is really focused on eating with the seasonal harvest. We see here in the West three main harvests, so spring, summer, and fall. And those take us through the year. And there's basically, there are two laws of Ayurveda, which I think would be useful to sort of bring out right now, and that'll help to understand the diet approach. The two laws or, or rules of Ayurveda are like increases like, and opposites decrease, or opposites harmonize. Now, these are two laws or two rules of common sense, but we don't always look at our choices based on these two rules. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. So right now we're in, we're in the winter season, right? So outside here in Vermont, at least, you know, it's cold, it's windy, it's fairly dry, and it's sort of a rough, hard season. You know, the, the wind can be really rough. It can really rough you up. You know, it's a, a very harsh sort of season. But cold and dry, those are some of the big qualities here in the winter. And so Ayurveda would say, in the cold, dry season, if I eat a lot of cold, dry foods, then those cold, dry qualities stack up, they add up, they accumulate in the body-mind. I'm already affected by, right, we're affected by the weather, right? So if it's cold outside, the skin is affected by the coldness. You know, we change our clothes based on that and such. So if it's cold outside and I eat a lot of cold foods, like iced drinks, smoothies, ice cream, cold fruit right out of the fridge, you know, things like that, then, the, you know, it's not going to magically heat me up, you know, cold plus cold equals more cold, right? right? And the same thing with dryness, right? It's a dry season out there. So a lot of people in the winter suffer from dry skin, dry hair, dry nails, dry lips, right? This is the time of year where we see chapstick commercials and moisturizer commercials, right? Right. People are getting dry because they're affected by the weather. And so if I'm feeling dry and it's a dry season and I eat a lot of dry foods, like rice cakes and crackers and popcorn and granola and bread. Now, these foods are not considered good or bad. Ayurveda does not label them as right or wrong. Ayurveda is just interested in their qualities. And so foods that have these dry qualities will increase the dryness in the body. 
So if I'm feeling dry skin and dry lips and I eat, eat a bunch of dry rice cakes, again, it's not going to magically hydrate my innards. You know, <laughs> It's not going to give me glowing skin. It's dry plus dry equals more dry. And so opposites decrease or opposites harmonize, opposites balance. So if it's cold outside, I want to favor warm foods, warm water, warm herbal teas, warm soups and stews, warm casseroles, hot apple pie. You know, it's like it's time for warm desserts. It's time for like heated warm chestnuts. And I'm hungry now. Yeah, it yeah. all sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's again, it's, it, these are laws of common sense, but we don't always make choices like this, especially in the common era where we have electricity and we can buy foods from any place on the planet, any time of year, sure. at any time of day, you know, so we've lost connection to the seasonal harvest. And so the opposite of cold is warm. So we want warmth this time of year. The opposite of dry is moist or oily or unctuous. And so we'd want to bring in more foods that have moisture, like soups and stews, that have good quality fats and good quality oils and, and such, so that we're, we're juicing up the body, we're oleating the body from, from the inside. Oil pulling is one way to combat that dryness in the mouth by swishing the oil around the mouth and hydrating the gums. It's good for dry mouth and tooth sensitivity and all sorts of wonderful things. Putting oil on the skin and doing self-massage with warm organic oil is a wonderful way to coat the largest organ on the body with something that is warming and grounding and soothing. So we use these two rules or laws of Ayurveda in, in pretty much every choice, diet, lifestyle, exercise, self-care, relationships, entertainment choices. Like we can really look at the qualities of a thing and see whether those qualities are going to cause woe, <laughs> you know, for our current state or support us in feeling more at ease. I'll pause there, but I can speak more specifically to the seasonal diets. Yeah. Well, I think that's fantastic. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. A couple of things I wrote down 5,000 years, I talk about it often as the very first wellness system. And the fact that we still kind of shy away from using any sort of holistic language when we talk about care uh, and stigmatized, but that was literally one of the first or the longest, oldest, continuous system of care is very holistic, very proactive. I remember hearing someone say, go to the kitchen first if you're not feeling well. To find the answers. And if you can't find them there, then explore someone outside your home, like a doctor or another professional. And, you know, modern healthcare loves to toot its horn. I'll say allopathic Western healthcare loves to toot its own horn and talk about being revolutionary and forward thinking with different components of what I would consider being based in Ayurveda. With my students in the integrative therapies class, we talk about Ayurveda and it's sometimes a hard sell because they're very allopathically trained different uh, disciplines that are only found in the West, perhaps. And I'll ask, what is revolutionary in healthcare? In the last 10 years, 15 years, what would you consider revolutionary? And they'll say things like plant-based diet, and they'll say things like nature therapy. And I'll say, that's all Ayurveda, right? <laughs> so what we're saying is revolutionary. And what we're blowing, you know, tooting our own horn about has been around for 5,000 years. It's just taken us that long to let it creep into our mainstream allopathic system. And then we, we like to get the accolades of saying we're forward thinking. But, you know, I, I, I hear think outside the box a lot. That's a cliche. But I love to tell my clients, here's a flashlight. Go search the corners of the box. The answers could be there. 
we need to look in the box first and not just always look for the next shiny, flashy, marketed well thing that's out there. We've made it this far for a reason. We have to know where we came from to know where we're going to go and how to get there effectively. And I, I studied massage. I became a massage therapist uh, almost 25 years ago now. And you were talking about the, the differences in massage and, and using Ayurvedic principles. And it really made me think about how lucky I was to go to the school that I went to, how forward thinking they were. I'm doing air quotes for the listeners, forward thinking they were at the time, because that's all we talked about. We were very much aligned with Ayurvedic principles. And that became part of who I was as a practitioner. So, you know, every time I talk to you, I learn more and more about how this has been inculcated into my personal culture, professional culture. I just maybe didn't call it by the right terms or I didn't celebrate it in the right ways. I love what you said about just making that one small step change in your diet, especially in this season when it's so cold outside. I think that, you know, you told me last year when you were speaking to my class, just make one change. Just make one change. And then when you see the benefit there, make another change. Don't try to completely change everything. And I think that that's a socialized misconception that we have right now is that it's all or nothing. Completely change your lifestyle, you know, change your whole life in 30 days. All of that stuff is marketed <laughs> well and people with their hands open waiting for our money. I think that just making that change, if it's cold, eat warm, juicy, you know, liquid based foods. If it's hot, do the opposite. That's something that all of us can start implementing. You talked to me last year about dry brushing and the benefits there. And I started it and it was amazing. What's that? Yeah. Can you touch on that for a little bit? Dry brushing, it's, it's a dry exfoliation and it, you know, it scrubs off the dead skin cells. It supports enhanced circulation, gives a little friction, heats everything up. Um, and so it's a really, it's, it's a practice that's not ideal in the dry season of winter. But it's really great in the sort of mud season of spring, you know, and we're like slopping off the dead skin and like waking everything up. It's like a little closet clearing, you know, spring cleaning with the exfoliation. It's a really, really lovely practice where just briskly brush the skin with a dry brush. It could be like a hemp loofah or a sponge loofah. It could be with an herbalized paste. It could be with raw silk gloves, which is the Ayurvedic tradition is to use raw silk gloves, which is really nice. Yeah. So there are all sorts of lovely, luscious ways to practice Ayurveda and dry brushing is a nice way in as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you would recommend a natural type of brush, right? Or a natural type of instrument. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is one small step is so essential, you know, making small steps that are sustainable. Ayurveda is all about that. And it can be useful to practice with someone who knows, you know, the, the system to help identify what would be the most useful first step, you know, what, what might be the most impactful piece. But Ayurveda has always known, and modern science has also proven, that consistency is more important than duration. And this is, you know, a big problem with the uh, New Year's resolutions for so many people as they, you know, like... It's cold turkey. They throw everything against the wall. They, you know, like going to jump into the deep end, you know, and then that's not sustainable. Whereas just doing a little bit of, you know, just kicking up how many hikes you do every week or taking a 20 minute walk every day or doing five minutes of stretching for your joints, sitting down and, and having a, a mindful meal, you know, these, 
practices that are that are small, they have incredible benefits when we do them consistently. And that's what allows, you know, folks to make really sustainable change. And Ayurveda is big on that. So one of the things with diet, you know, there are really two main approaches to diet in, in Ayurveda. One is sort of a broad stroke approach, sort of what's generally sort of kind of good for everyone. And that's going to be the sort of eating with the seasons, eating with the qualities of the seasons. So when it's cold and dry, eat warm, wet foods in the winter. In the spring, when it's sort of like rainy and like thick and mud season and fog season and, you know, like uh, blah season, then we're going to eat foods that are going to be lighter and cleaner and drier that are going to evaporate that fogginess and congestion in the body, you know. And then in the summer, when it's hot and humid out, we're going to eat foods that are more cooling and you know, help to support the energy that's needed for those long days of sun. And so those that sort of broad stroke. And with that, we can very simply eat with the seasonal harvest. And so whatever is in season uh, is in abundance. So it's easy to find. It's nice on the wallet because it's yeah. in abundance. So it's on sale. So an Ayurvedic <laughs> diet is a very budget-friendly diet, right? And we know this also from modern science that seasonal, local, and organic foods support the microbiome health. And so Ayurveda is all about that. So in the spring, we get a very different harvest than what we do in the summer or in the fall, right? Like the fall harvest that basically carries us through the winter, it's full of root vegetables, mm -hmm. squash and pumpkins and nuts fall from the trees that are filled with fats and protein. You know, it's a very thick, heavy harvest. And it takes us through this long, cold, dry season where we need those fats. We need those grounding foods that can last like potatoes and beets and carrots and parsnips. They can last for weeks and months, you know, to carry us through that season. And then in the spring, the earth gives us something very different. We get sprouts, we get dandelion greens and mustard greens and, and ramps. And here in the, in the Northeast, we get fiddleheads and things like that. We get all these like antioxidant rich, low fat, low protein, scraping, detoxifying foods. You know, the earth isn't giving us pumpkins. It's not dropping nuts from the trees, you know, in the spring. It's saying, no, no, it's detox time for everyone. It's time for broccolini. It's time for asparagus. And so like, if we eat with the season, then the earth, mother nature is so wise and it gives us a harvest that's perfect to combat the weather of that season. And then in the summer, we get a very different harvest. All these sweet fruits and vegetables that are like really watery and juicy to keep us hydrated during those long, hot, dry summer days, watermelons and summer squash and cucumbers that you can't even eat them all in the garden, you know. And so Ayurveda would say that sort of step one for diet is for everyone, eat with the seasons, eat the seasonal harvest, eat local, organic as much as you can get and can afford. And that does a lot of work to prevent discomfort in the body, especially in a digestive tract. If we eat with the seasons, that it's, it's preventative medicine and just it's wonderful. But sort of step two for the diet is going to then be a personalized approach. So a, a diet plan that is tailored to the individual based on their individual needs, conditions, medicines that they may be taking, disease states that they're, they're working with, 
And so we always go from sort of these big broad strokes to personalized recommendations because nothing is going to be good for everyone. And so Ayurveda likes to really fine tune that. And we are always, um, the classic texts say this, you know, if, if you can't find the answer in Ayurveda, look to a sister science. You know, Ayurveda is very happy to work with other systems, traditional Chinese medicine, allopathic medicine, naturopathy. Ayurveda works really well, plays really nicely with other systems because it focuses on the big picture. So I'll pause there. <laughs> I know I'm shaking my head. I know I probably look perplexed on the screen, but I I just can't help but think of how much nature tells us what to do and how much we as humans tend to screw that up with our own ego. I mean, these answers are tried and true. They've been around for thousands of years. The earth is saying, this is what I'm providing. This is what you should be eating. And I love the eat local message. You know, Steve and I are really big on supporting local farmers, supporting local growers. And I think that that's something that we're getting away from. And yes, cost is a factor, but I think that we're being socialized to believe it's more of a factor sometimes than it really is. I know that if I go to a local farmer's market, I've never said, oh, well, what if I buy this? Could you cut the price? And they've never not said yes. They're willing to negotiate because they want people to eat their food. You know where they're coming from. You know that they're healthy. You know what goes into it. You can talk to them about how they tend them, how they you know, work with pests, how they use organic compounds instead of chemicals. I love all of this. And it's just, it's mind-numbingly simple. And then so frustrating that the answers are right there. And we have the power to make the right decision. And we just let our ego and we let talking heads tell us that that's not right. We, we've stopped making honest decisions for ourselves and our betterment. And, and it goes way beyond diet. And again, we're a non-political show, so I'm not going to get into that. But, you know... <laughs> The answers are in this situation, nature is saying, I'm not growing that right now. Don't eat it. It couldn't be more simple than that. And I love everything you're saying. I'm such a huge fan of, of your message and, and how you say it. The science is there. We all have access to Google and you know PubMed and everything else. We can find the science. But the way that you artistically talk about it and make it digestible is so great. And I talk about you and your work all the time. I love this so much. I, I want to make sure that we're mindful for time. You mentioned earlier about the sister science, the very fact that Ayurveda says, I'm willing to play nice with everybody else. is so counterintuitive to our modern day healthcare system, because we have allied practitioners that carve out their own little piece of the sandbox and refuse to play with anybody else. So the fact that you're saying, let's collaborate, let's share, let's do this together is is something beautiful. That's how we're going to move forward in the right ways. You mentioned earlier touching on yoga and Ayurveda. Could you make that connection for us and expand on that a bit? Yeah, Ayurveda is a it's a thorough, complex, sophisticated system of medicine. And it says that whenever the situation for the client is complex or complicated or chronic, that the remedy is to simplify. The remedy is to simplify. What a message. Right? It's so powerful. It's incredibly effective and really tough for folks to do without support. But slowing down, doing less, saying no, turning things off, turning things down, having quiet time, being in nature, eating 
in a relaxed, seated, quiet manner, you know, all of these things, they are free or cheap and incredibly effective, right? And they really get to the root cause of a lot of the discomforts and woes and conditions that folks are wrestling with now, you know, anxiety, depression, insomnia, infertility, blood sugar stabilization, all sorts of things, you know. I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner as well, so I work one-on-one with folks, and so much of that can be reduced by very simple practices that just require discipline and commitment. And yoga is one of Ayurveda's tools. So yoga is used therapeutically in Ayurveda. Ayurveda will tweak and adjust the yoga practice to meet the needs of the client. And so just like we will shift our clothing and our holiday decorations and the foods that are being prepared based on the season, from the Ayurvedic perspective, the yoga practice should also change with the season. And so during these like cold, rough winter months, it's best to do or at least increase the amount of like soothing, relaxing yoga, you know, to soothe the nerves, to support good sleep, to sort of smooth everything out after the holiday bustle. You know, this is a good time of year to be doing like slow flow vinyasa and restorative yoga and relaxing breath work and and long relaxation techniques and things like that. And then in the spring, when it's like spring cleaning, we want to kick up the yoga practice and like, let's add a little intensity, let's add a little vigor, add a little more elbow grease, kick up the breath work, boost metabolism, burn off some water weight from the winter, clear out yeah, the we're channel. coming out of hibernation. We're, yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. getting busy again. Yeah. So we would adjust the, the yoga practice. And in the spring season, like you take it up a couple notches. And then in the summer season, when it's hot and humid and long days, We want to have more of a middle-of-the-road yoga practice, middle-of-the-road kind of exercise practice where we're not burning the candle at both ends, right? The day is already like, right, it's intense. So we do practices that are more cooling, lots of yoga poses where there are like wide arm, wide leg alignments so we can air out the armpits, air out the groin, keep the body's temperature down while we're doing deep, relaxing stretches, changing up the breathing practices to um, favor the ones that are more cooling and more relaxing. So Ayurveda will take yoga and use it or apply it therapeutically or skillfully based on the season and the season of life of the practitioner. So the way that the yoga practice is done for kids and and, and teens and, and even in the 20s, you know, for the whole growing stage of life, you know, essentially through the, the mid-20s as the brain is still growing. We want to do practices that are really in a strengthen the muscles and and build up coordination of breath with movement, build endurance and stamina, the ability to self-regulate, self-discipline, the ability to self-soothe. We want to teach all those practices, you know, in, in those years and and you know build up, you know, strong, well working bodies and minds, you know? And so it's like a little more, again, a little more vigor for the kids, you know, we kind of kick it up a notch. Whereas in the middle years of life, essentially like puberty to menopause, essentially, uh, let's say basically 20s to 50s, these are the active years, you know, where we're burning the candle at both ends, typically, you know, like building relationships, building homes, building careers, taking care of kids, taking care of parents, aging parents, you know, and life tends to be burning us up. And so in those active years of life, 
the Ayurvedic approach to yoga would be to use the yoga like maintenance, keep everything limber, keep everything strong, keep the nervous system and the endocrine system relaxed, and to support um, stable immune function, support uh, good digestion and elimination and, and ability to sleep well. The yoga, it comes down a notch for those, those years, those decades. You just take it down a notch. And then in the, the wisdom years of life or the wisdom stage of life, that's essentially, you know, 50s, 60s onward, where we want to make sure to bring in practices that support better balance. You know, as stability starts to decline, uh, we want to keep the joints well lubricated, make sure there's good flow of synovial fluid and cerebrospinal fluid. So there's a lot more focus on like keeping the joints limber and supple in that stage of life. We want to, of course, maintain strength and, and flexibility, but that's not really the main focus at that point. Whereas at that stage, we want to bring in more um, mindfulness practices, more meditation, more quiet and stillness for those wisdom years to be reflecting on one's life, to be contemplating the messages and lessons from life, and to find ways to share that and pass that on. And so the yoga journey and the Ayurveda journey look at the annual assortment of practices, you know, and adjust that, adjust it accordingly. And then looks at how we might approach yoga based on the season of life. And then again, we can personalize any yoga practice to the individual needs of each client based on whether they're working with diabetes or hypertension or insomnia or PTSD and find a practice that is a good match for that stage. I love that. It's incredibly sophisticated. Yeah. You know, we bring the Ayurveda and the yoga together. And they've come over to the West separately. They've come over as two separate systems, but they're not two separate systems. They've just made it here separately. And so a lot of my mission in the world is is reuniting yoga and Ayurveda because they really are one system that and, and when they're united, they bring about the the most delicious effects. You know? Yeah. It just seems like such a, a natural force multiplier to combine the two. And I know that you do a lot of work as an end-of-life doula, and you combine a lot of these practices and, and concepts. Can you talk a little bit about your work in that area? Whew. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a, a caregiver, a long-term caregiver and end-of-life doula, which is a growing career path for folks and really blossoming since the pandemic. But it's been around you know, throughout the ages, and it is a... Um, a job that allows one to essentially hold space and create more of a peaceful, relaxed environment for those who are approaching end of life and their their loved ones and family members. And so, much like a birth doula, it tries to keep everything calm, you know, during during the birthing process and helps the the mom to be and the family to plan out, you know, what's needed and where do they want to be during the birthing process and what music might be nice in the background or who do you want in the room and you know, what self-soothing techniques are most appropriate for you, you know, and, and learning self-regulation, techniques for self-regulation during times of intense pain and fear and nervousness. It's the same thing for end-of-life doula, where I will work with someone and help them to identify a whole host of things, you know, messages that they want to leave behind for loved ones, you know, maybe doing legacy projects with them, recording them in an interview helping them to write letters to loved ones, 
or to have conversations with loved ones that may be easy or difficult. So I can help facilitate that. But I can also work with folks to identify in their at their bedside in the vigil. You know, what do they want that vibe to be like? You know, how how do they want the room to feel? Are there certain aromas that would be soothing? Do they want music played, prayers, readings happening, entertainment? You know, what do they want to be in? What do they want to feel like? You know, and so much more. So, you know, I do a lot. <laughs> you can yeah. imagine, I, I, you know, I do a lot. I wow. teach mindfulness and breath work and Ayurveda and yoga. You know, I, I do a lot. It seems like they're separate, but they're really all one. Well, I could definitely see the connection there. Yeah, there's definitely a whole tapestry of golden threads connecting all of those things. You know, and you, you keep mentioning the teaching part. And Ken Revisa, who I talked about earlier, the first thing he told us when he advised the Army program, he said, I know a lot of you went into the applied side because you don't want to be educators. He said, but I hate to tell you, but as an applied guy for 40 years, 60 to 75% of my job is educating. And if you're doing it the right way, you're going to do that too. And you know, it really hit close to home for me because I fought being an educator. And then once I embraced it, I saw how all the different parts of my background came together and I could educate people on making those connections to improve their quality of life. And I, you know, we talk a lot about transition. I'm a transition specialist with the work I do, helping people move from one stage or state of life to another. But that final stage is one that we don't really talk a lot about, maybe because it's painful, maybe because it's it's hard to predict when it's going to happen. So you know, I, I can see the the absolute benefit. And, you know, I know I want to be mindful of your time. I can honestly say already, we have to have you back on because there's a whole lot of other stuff we could talk about. But if you're okay with it, I would love to jump into the segment we call the Fast Five. Mm-hmm. Okay. Five quick questions. Answer as quickly as you can. <laughs> All right. You ready to go? Yeah. All right. Number one, what is your favorite place to get outside? Oh, here in Vermont. So I moved here. Yeah, getting out into the green mountains. It's like the air here is ambrosia. Oh, nice. I don't want to encourage more people to move to Vermont because I've already seen that <laughs> influx. But that, that was my answer, too, just so you know, from the first episode. Uh, we've talked about that offline, too. What is your preferred outdoor activity? Mindful walking. I like to take long, silent walks in nature and... Uh, without AirPods in or anything and just walk and reflect, contemplate, think, process, listen, breathe, enjoy. Yeah, yeah that's I love the that. best. I always encourage people to listen to the show, then go for a walk. Yeah. Because I want them to be fully present and immersed with all their senses. Uh, what is your favorite food to eat outside? I think a nice, sweet, perfectly ripe pear. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Pears are underrated, Steve. I do love a good pear. I love a bosk pear at the yeah. peak of their Ooh. season. Oh, yeah. So yum. Hard pressed to find a, a <laughs> pear that I didn't like, to be honest. <laughs> Larissa, do you have a favorite animal? Uh, my puppy. Oh, I have a little Lhasa Apso. His name's Bodhisattva. Oh. Yeah. Bodhisattva. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. He's naughty, though. He's a little naughty one. Yeah. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> Those are the best kind. If you could only go to one outdoor spot for the rest of your life, what would it be? And this is the tough one. There's a mountaintop pond not far from here. It's called Hapgood Pond. And that's the place. Just the woods, mountain, the lake. Floating in a mountain lake, there's nothing better for me than that. That is the best thing in life. Yeah. Speaking my language. <laughs> yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Larissa, do you have a favorite nature quote, saying, or idiom? Thich Nhat Hanh. The mind can go in a thousand directions 
but on this beautiful path, I walk in peace. Oh, I love that. He's always one of my favorite. More Tikat Han. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The world needs more of it. <laughs> you know, before we part ways, I would love for you to talk a little bit about your your actual work. How can people find out more about you? How can they work with you? How does that occur? There are three main avenues for working with me. One is one-on-one. It's a lot of what I do is Ayurvedic diet and lifestyle consultations uh, via Zoom. Uh, also in person when I'm traveling, but Zoom is usually easiest where I help to tailor someone's diet, lifestyle, self-care, or yoga and exercise practices to meet their needs. The second way to work with me is in person. I run a lot of retreats and workshops, mindfulness retreats, breathwork retreats, Ayurveda workshops, uh, as well as professional trainings in yoga and Ayurveda. So you can find me, you know, mainly up and down the East Coast, but I do travel across the globe as well. And then the third way is online. So I do online education. So online trainings, uh, online courses. You can find courses both on my website, audio courses, and on Insight Timer, which is a, a lovely free app filled with thousands and thousands of tens of thousands of meditation teachers. If you didn't hear her say it's free. Free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can find me there and I have uh, four audio courses there. One is um, called Pranayama for Restoring Vitality. It's it's breath work. It's one of the most popular courses on the platform, one of the most highly rated. And I can die happy having made that course. It, like it, it, breath work is my, like seriously, it's my, yeah. my most favorite topic of, of all time. And that course, I, I just poured years and years of experience into that course. And it, it's uh, very satisfying. I love that course. But you can also find there Ayurveda for Meditators, another 10-day course, Mindful Caregiving, and Mindful Musicianship, one of my specialties. Is, yeah, is we didn't even touch on that part. Teaching for optimal performance and, and elite musicians. That's yeah, amazing. So, yeah. Definitely so much more to have you on to talk about. And I know the breathwork part is a passion and I love it. I, you know, we, we could do this forever. Wow. Steve, is there anything you have for Larissa before we go? More questions. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I mean, we, we really, we say it, we've said it, we've been graced with a number of guests that really we, we need to head back for a second episode, maybe a year later and revisit how everyone's practices are going because you, you're one of the, the first practitioners that we've had on the show that you have a practice that I know nothing about. And so I'm really grateful for that, right? Every time we can, we can actually use that beginner's mind truly to explore new subject matter that is beneficial for us to explore. Um, I think it's, it's inspirational. So you know, thank you for sharing what is hopefully a continuous ongoing practice in human health, Ayurvedic medicine, and then and then, you know, things like mindful movement with yoga and, and mindful eating, right? It's, we're also stimulated these days with all of these different tools that are wonderful, beneficial tools help us connect you know, with humans across the globe, but we're very, very distracted. Yeah, scattered. So, so easy to become distracted with all of these interesting tools that we have nowadays. When speaking to practitioners like yourself, I'm just reminded as a person, you know, hey, keep focusing and thinking about the basics, right? Keep considering what are these things that, that might be common sense, right? And although I say, I'm guilty of saying it all the time, common sense isn't common. Unfortunately, right. because we're all so distracted with these other interests, 
maybe we lose some of the commonalities that help us bond and bring us together. And so you know, thank you for sharing some of those, those really cool and interesting and inspiring practices. I know I'm going to be diving in deeper Google and ChatGPT and some of these other programs and tools that I have to help me sort of think, you know, how can I consider Ayurvedic medicine as I move forward? So you know, thank you. Thank you for inspiring that. You're welcome. Yeah. And, and keep it simple. You know, and and that's the things we are a culture that is overstimulated. You can't even stop for gas without a TV blasting in the face anymore, you know, (laughs) unreal, right? So it's like, it's just nonstop. And so the remedy really is to simplify. It's like drive without the radio on once in a while and take a silent walk, you know, and do the simple things like drink a glass of water, you know, eat whole foods stare at the night sky and get lost in that indigo brilliance, you know, and like the deep remedies that I see, you know, I've been a a professional practitioner of Ayurveda, a clinician for 15 years or so. And the most complex and chronic and stubborn and difficult situations are remedied by the simplest practices. And we're you live in a society that like doesn't even want to believe that. Like, no, no, it's got to be some brand new pill or something that does the trick. It's got to be this. The next thing. Right. It's actually no, like turn off the lights and go to bed or no, go outside and stare at the sky, you know, and those things, they really do pay off. They really do pay off. So as you investigate and, and all the listeners out there, as you investigate Ayurveda, you know, go to my website too, larissacarlson.com. I've got tons of free resources there. I'm I'm a big writer. So I have loads and loads of articles that you can read on Ayurveda. But it is a full system of medicine. So it's easy to get sort of lost in the research, you know, like, oh, now it seems kind of complex, you know. But Ayurveda always comes back to the basics, mindful eating, seasonal eating, good sleep, nature time, self-care, keep good company, hang out with positive people watch positive, uplifting things, listen to positive podcasts like we're doing right now, you know, and, and these things really, really do make all the difference. So I wish you and all the listeners well, as you take this in. Yeah. Thank you so much. And best three words of advice I ever got were keep it simple. So the fact that you are echoing that just speaks volumes. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know how busy you are. You've never said no when I've asked you to help out and educate people on Ayurveda and yoga and breath work, so many different amazing things that you're involved in. So thank you for taking time today. Thank you for giving us such practical tips for the listeners and to encourage them to start small, start simple, but just start. And you know, I love that message so much. So again, this is the time of year that we need to really explore what our goals are again. And if you've maybe stumbled a little bit up until this point, don't give up, just scale back simplify. And, you know, we'll put all of your information in the show notes. We'll blast out everything that you do, make sure people have access to it. But thank you so much for making the time today. And we definitely want to have you back on. I'm going to go ahead and extend that offer now. So you said a year or so, mid-January 2025, we'll jump back into it. Awesome. But thank you so much. And for everybody listening, please do your health and well-being the biggest favor you can and just get outside. Thank you for listening to the Nature of Wellness podcast, hosted by Dr. Mark A. Campbell and Steve Otero. Follow us on Instagram at Nature of Wellness, with new content being added frequently. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen. 
the content of this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing should be taken as legal or medical advice. The information is not intended to replace the guidance of your healthcare providers, but to create an outlet for new discussions with them.